Hey, good morning, everybody, and thanks to the praise team for leading us in worship. Uh, before we dive into the message, um, I want to talk to the Alice Drive Church family. So if you're not part of the Alice Drive Church family, you can tune out for this part, and then I'll tell you when to tune back in. Um, so uh, all of you who are part of the Alice Drive Church family know that uh, we live in financially challenging times, and uh, that has put a... Um, a strain on our giving to our ministry budget. Now, the ministry budget is what we use to do things like pay salaries, electrics, send kids to camp, uh, do vacation Bible school, all the things that we do. Um, and so, our goal uh, by the end of June was to have received $1,733,484. Okay, so that was the goal. And what we actually received was one million four hundred and fifty-eight thousand four hundred and twenty-seven dollars. Now, to keep you from lots of math, what, what uh, I want to share with you is that puts us about eighty-four percent of our goal. Now, let me tell you the good news. The good news is we are spending less than we take in, which I would recommend to all of you as a model for your household finances, right? Um, but still, we're kind of getting concerned that it's going to limit our ability to do ministry. And I know we're in the summer, and you take vacations. So if you've missed some giving, I'll encourage you to, to, to catch up. And if you have um, maybe not been knowing the blessing of giving, I would encourage you to step in and get into that practice. Uh, because God's doing some really great things here at Alice Drive. Some pretty amazing things. We uh, have just all kinds of stuff going on for Jesus. Uh, some of you have met Sam Smithson, who is our Bishopville campus pastor. It's kind of hard to miss. He's about 6'8". He, he does a basketball Bible study every week up in Bishopville. And just this past week, he had seven new guys come to his basketball Bible study. Uh, and that's made possible by your giving. And they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's continue to give faithfully. All right, if you're not part of the Alice Drive family and you've been tuned out, tune in. And now let's hear the reading of God's Word from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is the Word of the Lord. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. So at the beginning of the year, I challenged you, let's make this a year of hope. Because frankly, I found myself in need of some hope. And I looked out at our church and I thought, we need hope this year. And our community, I thought well, our community needed a hope. And, and I felt like our nation needed hope. And if you kind of look at things, back in January where I made this challenge to you, uh, the price of a gallon of gas nationwide was $3.28. The good old days. And, and now, average price of a gallon of gas across our country is $4.81. And so, yes, I still think we need hope. I think we need hope as people, as a church, as a community, and as a nation. I challenge you to memorize Romans 15, 13. Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our hope is in our God of hope. And I want you to say this verse. 
with me. Would you read it with me? And would you read it like you were cheering at a ball game for a team you love? Let's read it together. Okay. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I had some real enthusiastic people right in here. Good for y'all. I think we need that hope. But how do you get it? How do you grow hope? Well, we're starting a new message series today entitled Hope Grows. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at just five verses in the Bible, but five of the richest verses that Paul ever wrote in the book of Romans, chapter 5. And today we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. And as we launch this, we need to get clear on some things. Hope is what happens when God is at work. So hope is what happens when God's at work. Hope is different than a wish. And we need to be clear about that. So I might hope that I can eat ice cream without gaining weight. Is that hope or is that a wish? I see some of you aren't certain either. No, of course, that is a wish, but that's not reality. Hope instead is founded, is grounded in reality. Hope is based on knowledge. So hope is knowing that my heavenly Father is at work in my life, and he will continue his work in me. Let me just say that again. Hope is knowing, knowing that my heavenly Father is at work in my life, and he is going to continue his work in me. So in these verses that we, we just shared, um, there's some big words that jump out at us, six big words, in fact. And we're going to spend most of this sermon looking at those six big words and really understanding what they mean. So we're going to dive in and look at the first big word in these two verses, and that is the word justified. Paul starts and he writes, therefore, since we have been justified. To be justified means that you are put right. Now, to be put right, of course, tells us that we're all crooked. Now, I don't mean crooked in that we're stealing money. I mean that our souls have been twisted up by sin. Sin is our failure. Sin is our, our character defects. Sin is our character flaws. And every one of us has a soul that has been twisted, so all of us need to be straightened out. Now, let me tell you what the flaw is. The flaw is many of us say, well, you know, I know I need to straighten myself out. But if you're crooked, how do you know what straight is? You will only succeed in twisting yourself another way. Now, some of you have your mama's voice playing in your head, and you can hear her say, boy, I'm about to straighten you out. And you rely on other people to show you what is straight. Here's the problem with that. Everybody else is also twisted and crooked. So who can show us what it is like to actually have a straight soul? Well, there's a verse in the book of Psalms that tells us this. In Psalms 119, verse 137, we are told, you are righteous, Lord and your laws are right. So what happens is God comes to us, and he says, I will show you what is straight. 
What is straight is my son, Jesus Christ. He is the perfect example of righteousness. And I get to decide what is right because I'm God. I made the world. Now, here's where God is amazing, that he takes his perfect son and then offers him as a sacrifice on the cross so that all of us then can be made straight. We are not made straight. We're not made justified by our, um, our own works, not by what we do. Uh, some of you have used computers, right? You, you've used computers, and you've actually seen something like this on your screens in Word. It's, it's up here in the paragraph part. Have you all seen this? And it, it's about how to justify things. And you've got justify left, center, justify right. And then that one that's highlighted is where you can justify so all the lines come out even. Because everything's crooked, right? But here's the amazing thing. When you click on that, are you actually justifying something? No. You know what's happening? Inside your computer program, there are uh, ones and zeros that are lining up, and they are doing the work for you. Jesus is the one who justifies us. It's not that we are good enough to justify ourselves. He justifies us. So it's not a matter of what you do. It's a matter of what Jesus has done. Our hope starts in the fact that Jesus has justified us. We trust in done versus do. So that's the first big word. We have been made right by the work of Jesus Christ. Now, the second big word that comes up is the word faith. And we talk about that a lot in church. And we're told that we're justified through faith. Now, faith is not something you have. Faith is something you do. This is real important. Because a lot of people will talk about, I have faith, as if faith is a static possession. Faith is not a static possession. It's actually a journey. And, and there's a problem in English because we don't have a word, faithing. In other words, I don't ever, it's improper for me to say, well, uh, today, I am going to faith. Instead, we usually substitute the word trust. But to faith, to exercise faith, to, to let faith actually be an action in our lives means that I am taking a next step in the direction that God wants me to go, and I'm trusting that that direction is not just based on some blind, okay, God, I'm going to trust you and step off the edge. It's actually based on good evidence that there is a God who loves me, he cares about me, and he's at work in my life. Faith is the confidence that leads you to act toward a reality. So in December of 2016, at the Knott's Berry Farm in California, famous amusement park, one of the roller coasters got stuck at the top of that first hill. You know the first hill on the roller coaster is always the tallest? It got stuck there, had 20 people in the cars, seven of them were children. And so they called the fire department, and the fire department did not have a 148-foot ladder to reach those cars on the ride. So what did they do? Well, the firemen began to climb up 
the ride and they were carrying ropes like this. And they climbed all the way up and then they, and I could not have done this. They edged their way around the cars to the front a little scary, right? And then they'd be, before they started rescuing the people, before they started rescuing people, they began to talk to them. And do you know what they said? They said, hey, I, I guess you guys are a little freaked out, right? <laughs> yeah, just a little. <laughs> and they said, hey, it's going to be okay. We're going to explain what we've done. So, you know, we don't have a ladder to reach you. Instead, we've got these ropes, and these ropes have a 9,000-pound brake limit. And then the guy, fireman, with a sense of humor, right, says, anybody here weigh 9,000 pounds? Ho, 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 Just what you need when you're at the top of the ride, stuck. And then the guy goes on and he explains. He said, now, I know this is going to be scary, but don't worry. We've done this before. We've practiced this. We're going to tie this rope off, and then we're going to fashion a harness, and you're going to step into the harness, and then we're going to lower you. Now, where do you think those people's anxiety was? Do you think it was up here? Sure. Yeah. But when the fireman starts talking to them, what he's actually doing is he's lending them faith. Hey, We've done this before. Hey, this rope will hold you. Hey, I've done it myself. Hey, we've got you. Now, here comes the moment. And this would have been the really hard moment for me, too, I, I tell you. So, what we need is for the first person to unbuckle their seatbelt and let us put you in the harness. Where does faith start? See, faith begins when you actually find out other people have had this happen, and, and they trust it, and it worked for them. Some people in your lives may not have faith, but you can lend them some of yours. And then faith for you actually gets real when you unbuckle your seatbelt and you trust the rope. And by 10 o'clock that night, all 20 people had been safely lowered to the ground because they had faith that led them to action. Do you have faith that Jesus Christ not just existed, not just died on the cross, but died for you. That he loves you that much. And, and that means you can trust him, not just for heaven, but forever. Right now. You can begin trusting Jesus now. Now, I want to tell you something else about this rope. It's heavy. It'll hold you. And it's cutting off circulation in my arms, so I'm going to put it down. Grow your faith. Grow your faith. Because the day is going to come when you need deep faith. Uh, Dallas Willard, the philosopher, said this. Shallow faith causes you to move yourself. Deep faith enables you to move mountains. 
And, and so maybe today, when you hear the word faith, it, I want you to hear it not just as something that would be nice and it might get you to heaven. I want you to hear it as something that needs to keep growing exponentially in your life. Maybe you need to embrace the prayer that we, we talked about a few weeks ago where the father of the epileptic child, when Jesus says, do you believe? And, and the father says, I, I have faith. Help the part of me that doesn't have faith. Maybe, maybe that can be your prayer today. So we're justified because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And here comes the next really important word. It is the word peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is this deep sense of well-being. It is, it is resting in the reality that there is a God who is good and who wants to bring good into our lives because we have put our faith in him and in what Jesus has done for us. Peace comes because we know we're secure, that nothing comes into our lives that surprises our heavenly father. This is the peace of Jesus. You remember the story of Jesus? He was in a boat crossing the lake of Gennesaret, and a storm came up, and the disciples who had, had, had been fishermen who'd spent their whole lives on that lake were panicked. Do you remember this? And, and where is Jesus during this storm? He's asleep in the back of the boat on a cushion. That's the peace that Jesus offers you. Now, I'm not going to tell you it comes overnight. I don't think it does. I think that is the deep faith that you need to peace. You can grow as you grow your faith. But it is claiming and living out of the promise of Romans 8, 28. You, you probably know this verse that says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. There's nothing that comes into your life that God cannot bring good from. Now, what burdens me is that I often do not live here. I don't live in peace enough. And honestly, it hurts me for you too. And I'll tell you why I think that is. It's because we keep violating the first commandment. Remember the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. So whenever I put my anxiety before God, I'm making that the most important thing in my life. And that's why I don't have peace. When I put pleasing somebody else above God, what do you think that does to my peace? When I say I've got to have a certain lifestyle to be happy, what do you think that does to my peace? I need to make sure that first and foremost I trust God, I put my faith in God, and that brings the peace I need. There's a saying from the 12-step movement that goes like this, I can't, God can, I think I'll let him. So Paul has taught us so far, we're justified by what Jesus has done. We faith into that. That brings peace. And now we get this next really big word, access. Through, because of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access access by faith. And there's the faith word again. The word access in the ancient world was used to describe what a king would grant to an audience. So imagine that there's this king and there are ambassadors coming from a foreign land 
And the king has to decide if he will receive the ambassadors or not. He will grant them access or he will not grant them access. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He has granted us access to the king because we've been made straight. We've been made right now before God. We have access. We can come to our heavenly father. There are some religions that teach that you have to have a priest to forgive your sins or you have to confess to a priest to forgive your sins. There, there are some uh, religions that teach that, that you have to have a holy man pray for you. Based on these verses, we believe, no, you can talk directly to God yourself. Now, if you grew up in church, this is probably not like a new idea, but let me tell you, it's a big idea, because in the ancient world, this idea did not exist, not until Jesus. Not until Jesus did people put it together, you could talk to God directly. You can confess your sins directly to God. You can talk to God directly about your needs. You have access. Uh, for this story to make sense, I'm going to have to kind of reveal how old I am. And so some of you are going to spend this whole story paying attention to the math. In 1975, I was in high school. And... Um, then Governor Ronald Reagan, who later becomes President of the United States, was campaigning for the presidency. He was going to run uh, against Gerald Ford, who was the president, for the Republican nomination. Some of you may remember that. Some of you, it's just in history books. Okay. So Governor Reagan came to uh, Clearwater, Florida, and he spoke to the Republican State Convention. It was a fundraising event. And my high school band had an ensemble. I was part of that ensemble. And we were tapped to go and provide music while everybody ate. We were the warm-up act, if you will. So we were promised fried chicken. Hey, you're 15, fried chicken? Doesn't take much to motivate you. So uh, I was part of that ensemble. We went, we played a collection of the songs that we knew. It was pretty cool. Uh, and as the time had come for us to finish playing and for Governor Reagan to speak, uh, the handler, one of the handlers came over and said to us, would you like to shake hands with Governor Reagan? Do we get the chicken afterwards? That's what we were thinking. And it was like, okay, we will do that. And uh, so uh, we all got to go up individually and I got to shake hands with Governor Reagan, then who would become later President Reagan. And he was very gracious, very magnetic, uh, very kind to be able to do that for high school students. Well, as we finished shaking hands, all these people who paid $100 a plate, and remember, this is 1975 when $100 was $100. And, and so all these people who paid $100 a plate think, oh, it's now our turn to get up and go shake hands with Governor Reagan. So all of these people stand up and they start going up to the front to shake hands with Governor Reagan. And, and, and I, can, I will never forget the handler saying, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, Governor Reagan only was shaking hands with the teenage band members. You will have to return to your seats. We had access. And I love, I love that, that whole picture because to me it's a picture exactly of how God works. It's not the people who pay to be there that get access to God. It's the people that everybody thinks, well, they don't really matter. They're just kids. What can they know? 
we were granted an audience. Have you stopped to think about what it means for the creator of the universe, the designer of every good and perfect thing, the one who loves you so much that he forgives your sins? Have you stopped to think about what it means for him to give access to you? See, some of you, I think you're still messed up and you think, the things I've done disqualify me. God wouldn't want to listen to somebody like me. You're still thinking, hey, I screwed up so much back in high school and college or yesterday. I can't go to God. You're still thinking, I'm not worthy enough. I don't give enough. I don't serve enough. God won't answer my prayers. My friends, your heavenly Father wants to hear from you. And that leads us to this next really pivotal word, grace. We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You you know what Governor Reagan was doing that day? He was being very gracious. Didn't have to do it. Wanted us to do it. And we couldn't even vote. Grace, before it was a Bible word, meant to be joyful. It meant to delight. It it, it does break my heart when I see so many believers, Christians, who are not living joyfully, delightfully. They're they're living judgmentally. They're they're living with a harshness and an edge that, that doesn't come from really knowing the grace of God. Frederick Buechner said, you cannot get grace, it can only be given. And I want you to think about all the signs of grace that are around us. You know, this time of year, what I really love uh, is, is like good, good ice cream, not, not carb-smart ice cream, the good stuff. With strawberries, fresh strawberries, or fresh peaches cut over it. And you let that ice cream melt a little bit, and then you dig into that. I'm telling you, that's grace. That's grace, how good that tastes. Because God could have made everything taste like liver. Your good looks, and you're better looking than you think. Your good looks are grace. What did you do to deserve how good looking you are? Your birth is grace. Jesus Christ dying on a cross is grace. And all of these are gifts. And when you live in grace, it becomes fuel for life. And you can begin to claim that you are not just making your way from step to step in life, but you are more than just moving through life. You're a conqueror. That's the promise in Romans 8, verses 37 through 39. Know in all these things, we are more than conquerors. More than a conqueror through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor either the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can pull you out of God's love? Nothing. What can pull you away from his grace? Nothing. We get to live as conquerors. So grow your awareness of grace. Look for all the signs of grace that are around you. A video of my grandson playing in the rain is grace. 
You can find grace in all kinds of places. Lewis Smedes taught theology and ethics at Fuller Seminary in California, and he struggled all his life with clinical depression. And, 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 it, and it really worked on him because, you know, here he is a professor of theology and ethics, and yet he has this clinical depression, and he's, he feels like, well, Christians are supposed to be happy, and I'm not most of the time, until finally he ha- found out he had a chemical imbalance, and his doctor prescribed Prozac for him. And at first he was ashamed about taking that medicine, and then he said, I discovered finally that Prozac, my pill, was daily grace from God. God is reassuring me that to to put my faith in him, to trust him, means I'm justified, I have peace, I have access, and all this is happening because of his grace. And here's the last word, the last word, hope. Paul finishes out these these two verses by saying, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. The glory of God is, is a biblical way of describing everything that God does. Everything. That's the glory of God. Jesus dying on the cross is the glory of God. You getting up this morning is the glory of God. It's all the glory of God, what God does And we live in that glory. We stand in it. We boast in it. But that also means we have to wait. Because hope always involves waiting. Uh, You may have heard of Pastor Rick Warren. Uh, He was pastor of Saddleback uh, Community Church out in California until recently. Uh, Just retired. Wrote Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church. Wrote uh, many books. About, about eight years ago now, his son Matthew, 27 years old, passed away. Matthew had struggled with depression and mental illness all of his life, and finally he committed suicide. Now imagine, imagine how that must have felt to Rick and Kay. You know, I mean, here he's a pastor, he's nationally known, and yet his own son. I mean, you know, just because you're famous doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. And just because you're a pastor doesn't mean that you can't be crushed. And about a year later, somebody came up to Rick and said, how how are you getting through this? And Rick said his answer was Easter. I get through this because of Easter. And Rick went on to explain this. Friday was the day of suffering and pain and agony. And Saturday was the day of doubt and confusion and misery. But Easter, that Sunday, was the day of hope and joy and victory. Now, here's the truth. Here's the truth. You're going to wake up someday and the calendar says it's Tuesday, but it feels like Friday. It is a day of pain, it's a day of misery. It's a day of hurt. And you recite to yourself all those positive sayings that you have read in the book. You you get up and you say, it's going to be a great day, but it's not. It's just going to be a day of pain. Some days are Fridays. And some days, no matter what day the calendar says it is, it's like a Saturday. You're filled with doubt and discouragement, and you wonder. You wonder what's going on. You wonder why, why good people are dying and why, why bad people are prospering. You just can't figure it out. You just can't figure it out. Some days are Saturdays. 
But then there's Easter. When the miracle of all miracles happens, when Jesus is resurrected and brings hope to us all, to say that Fridays and Saturdays don't get the last word. It may be Friday for you, it may be Saturday for you, but Sunday is coming. How do you get through those tough days? Sunday is coming. The answer is Easter. So you see how all of this builds? You see how all of it builds? It starts with what Jesus has done for you. And you, you believe that, you trust it, you put your faith there. And then that begins to, to build in your life into a kind of peace. You can live in that peace. And then as it builds into that peace, you realize you have access to God. And now you can live a life fueled by grace. And that gives you hope. It all ties together. But it starts with Jesus climbing up to rescue you and you unbuckling your seat belt to say, I'll put my faith in you. So what do we do with all of this? I wish I, wish I had a stamp or maybe some tattoo artist out in the lobby so you could tattoo all six of these words onto the back of your hand. But frankly, I'm afraid of needles and it wouldn't be fair for me to ask you to do that. I think one of these words is for you. I think one of these words is for you today. Maybe it is the word justified. And you, you need to say to yourself, I can live knowing I am right with God. I can live knowing that Jesus Christ has died for me and so the most important battle in my life has already been won and I didn't have to fight it. Now, if you've not ever taken the step of believing in Jesus, and I'm just believing that he was a person, or even that he died and was resurrected, what I'm talking about is the kind of faith that actually will take a step. Okay, that's your next step today, to actually say, I believe this, I'm going to live in this. And that leads us to maybe the word for you today is faith. And your simple prayer will be, Heavenly Father, please grow my faith. It's not big enough today. I'm dealing with some stuff. It feels like a Saturday or a Friday. Please grow my faith. Or, or maybe it's even saying, God, I get it. Today, my next step of faith is actually to accept Jesus, to follow him as my Savior and Lord. Let him forgive my sins. Maybe the word for you today is peace. And you simply need to say, Heavenly Father, help me rest in your peace. I'll be honest, this is my word. You know, as, as I've tried to listen to God today, God just kind of keeps saying, peace, Clay, peace. Live in my peace. Maybe your word is access. And you need to get rid of the idea that you can't talk to God because of something in your past. Or, or maybe it's like this, you just need to give thanks that, that you have access to the king. If you're not sure which word is for you, it's probably this one. Just give him thanks. Maybe your word is grace and you need to be looking for signs of God's grace. And just pray, God, show me the signs of your grace. Maybe your word is hope. And saying, you know, I'm an Easter person. The greatest battle in my life's already won. 
Maybe Friday for me, but Sunday's coming. Maybe Saturday for me, but Sunday's coming. Look, I'm gonna live in hope. Which word is for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the richness of your word and just the wisdom we find there, the truth. I pray that you'd show everyone in this room what word is for us. I pray that you would give peace where it needs to be given. And I pray today, Father, especially for people who've not yet been justified by Jesus, the gifts out there. And I pray that today they would accept that gift, put their faith in Jesus, unbuckle their seatbelt, and trust him. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.